Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. The Missing Link will help you or your business connect with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Find them at tmlthemissinglink.com.au. Here is your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Sporting Max. Today we are joined by Brisbane Bullets legend and NBL legend, Derek Rucker. Welcome to the podcast, Derek. It's an absolute honor to have you on. How you doing? I'm very well, Max, and uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad we were able to work it out, and uh, I'm ready to get into it. Thanks, Derek. Now, growing up in America, um, as a kid through the 1970s and the 1980s, what was that like for you? Well, I mean, that was certainly a different era. Uh, the accessibility to sporting events uh, on TV was much different than it is today. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you guys are, well, me also, we're able to watch events live on our devices, whether mm-hmm. it be at home, laptops, you know, we can be on the train and the car and still have mm-hmm. access by, via our phones. But it was much different when I was growing up. The NBA, for example, wasn't even shown live that often. Wow. Um, the championship series was was uh, tape delayed, what they called it. So the game mm-hmm. was played, say, at 8 p.m. And it may not be shown until like 11. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was it was certainly a different time. And, you know, you had to get up the next day and read the results in the paper. It wasn't mm-hmm. like you had access right away and immediate information. Yep. So what when did you sort of start to get um, involved in basketball and playing basketball as a kid? Oh, I started playing at about the age of six. Uh, my dad got me involved. Um, he was a professional football player in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And so I just love sports. You know, I was, I was, I was small, but I was athletic. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he kind of forecast that my body type would be more compatible to um, basketball than it would be to gridiron. Mm-hmm. What was that gro- like growing up? Um, around your dad, who you just mentioned, played in the NFL? Well, it's tough, you know, it's tough as a it's tough as a child going to school. And, you know, mm-hmm. so much of how you're treated um, was dependent upon how uh, my dad's team went the week before. Yeah. So, you know, if they took bad losses in school, you know, I didn't always look forward to going to school on a Monday and you know, <laughs> that week was going to be somewhat tough. But my dad was a very good player, so um, he re- he rarely had bad games, and his performances alone, um, you know, put a lot of pride in me. And so I was yeah. always able I was always able to hold my head high. Um, now I believe you attended the university uh, school in Ohio. Yeah. How did you find the transition um, throughout school, and what subjects really took your interest? I always loved numbers, Max, and uh, math was very big with me, and I. Um, yeah, I, I kind of was, uh, you know, I was a pretty good student and university school is a very uh, prestigious school in Northeastern mm-hmm. Ohio, right outside of Cleveland. And so I was very fortunate to get the opportunity to go there. But most importantly, because I was young for my age, I went to a public school prior. Um, I actually transferred to university school and repeated year 11, and that allowed wow. my body to grow. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I kind of started to um, believe in myself as a basketball player and that I might have a future in the game. So how would you describe your game um, as a kid and how that sort of developed and changed um, throughout your career? I, uh, uh, so I was always pretty quick with the ball and mm-hmm. uh, I learned to shoot pretty well, probably from about 
age 15. Um, mm -hmm. My dad, my parents built a court in my backyard and uh, I got a lot of use out of that. And I really worked on my shot, worked on my ball handling, played a lot of one, one-on-one -on -one with, um, you know, mm -hmm. even some adults and my brothers and so forth. And I think I was really offensive minded. I just felt that I yep. was going to have to be a factor on the offensive end all the time. And mm -hmm. that continued, although it, it slightly changed in college and then in the pros, I think I, I fully blossomed as a complete basketball player, especially on the offensive end. Um, now, attending college um, at Davidson on a scholarship, how did that feel coming into the school team as a freshman and really establishing yourself as a leader and as a player? Yeah, it's, you know, I was 17 when I first got to Davidson, and I think I, I started the second game of my career there, and I never really mm -hmm. looked back. So at that point, I just turned 18, and you, I was responsible for running the team, and it was, wow. uh, it, was <laughs> real, it was a real challenge, but that first year was rough. I think we won 10 games and lost 20. So, you know, we took a lot of lumps there, but mm -hmm. I learned a lot that first season. And I think I averaged like 12 or 13 points a game. So it was really a good year for me. And it kind of set the foundation for what was going to come the next three mm -hmm. seasons. Um, now you led Davis, Davidson um, to the NCAA tournament um, in your sophomore year. Can you expand on the tournament um, and the season and the year from your perspective? It was a really good year. We made huge jumps. I think so in my freshman year, as I just said, we went from 10 and 20 mm -hmm. to 20 and 10 that second year. Mm -hmm. um, we won the Southern Conference Tournament. It. Yeah, we flipped it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we won the Southern Conference Tournament, which, which gave us an automatic bid into mm -hmm. the NCAA Final 64. Now, Max, we didn't last long because we played, <laughs> the number, we played the number one overall seed who were the Kentucky Wildcats. <laughs> and they were really, really strong. But we played them on our home court. Um, mm -hmm. And we actually established a 10-point lead early in the game. But Kentucky just had too much talent. I think they wound up beating us like 75 to 55. Mm -hmm. I was decent, nothing spectacular. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it was a great experience, nevertheless. Now, being twice the Southern Conference Tournament um, MVP, I know the main goal for everyone in sports is to win as a team. But what's it like to win those personal awards or accolades? Well, I think it's something that, we share with our teammates and everyone takes great pride in seeing one of their teammates really excel and, mm. and play near to his, his or her potential. And I think, you know, you always have to be grateful and appreciative of your teammates and, mm. and the contribution they, they make to anyone's personal success. And I was always throughout that, Mike, throughout my whole career. And, um, you know, I played with some great teammates in, in, in my years and, um, you know, it is something that I do miss. So how did the opportunity um, of coming down to Australia to pl play um, for the Bullets in 1990 pre present itself? Wow. So Brian Curl, who was, you know, pretty much uh, mm -hmm. one of the main factors that uh, for the Bullets even existing now, he built the Bullets up mm -hmm. um, and he was the head coach. Then he was looking for a point guard and a certain type of point guard. And this was back in 1989. Mm -hmm. He was taking the Bullets team. Back then, they, the, the NBL teams used to tour the United States and play against the leading college teams quite often. Mm -hmm. It gave them a chance to get away as a bit of a holiday. It gave them a chance to trial new imports. Mm -hmm. And it 
gave them a, a good off season to see where their weaknesses were. And, and some of the Australians were able to play against good American players. So they trialed me on a, on like a 17 day tour. I think we played like 12 or 13 games. It was wow. really stressful. The competition was good. It was kind of in, it was in November of 1989. So I went on that tour. I played pretty well. And at the end of it, they offered me a spot on the team. Wow. So what, can you tell me about like your games um, against the Bullets and how they sort of viewed you? So I was playing, I was playing with the Bullets on that tour. We played against college teams all through Mm -hmm. the Midwest. Like we played uh, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, Nebraska. We Mm -hmm. played some really good teams and circumstances kind of worked in my favor. It it wound up in a couple of games where I wound up with the ball in my hands with a chance to win the game. And I think (laughs) I came through, I came through twice or maybe three times. I think the story's been greatly exaggerated max I think it was actually twice in those two weeks I hit I hit game winners but some of, my, some of my loyal friends have probably exaggerated exaggerated out to about four or five game winners. I think it was only two buddy um now coming into the bullets as a star is no easy job but to take our MVP honors and make the all NBL first team in that year too is like completely on a crazy another level can you elaborate on this year, not only for you, but for the team too? Hey, check this out, my man. Do you know who Bill Simmons is? Yeah. Of course you do, right? Yeah. You're like a mini Australian young ben- Bill Simmons, huh? <laughs> I hope so. I like what you're doing. I like what you're doing. That first season was terrific. You know, I I, I had the, uh, the good fortune to come into a team mm-hmm. and play with the man who I believe despite Corey Homicide's yeah. Corey Homicide Williams' opinion of Bryce Cotton, who I hold in high regard also, yep. I think Leroy Loggins is still the greatest import mm-hmm. who has ever played in the NBL. Now, I was wow. lucky enough to play with Leroy, and that guy was brilliant. So that first season kind of coming in, knowing that I didn't have a lot of pressure on me yep. because it was Leroy's team and Leroy was a superstar, it really gave me a huge margin for error. And I think that was one of the reasons why I was really able to thrive. And we worked hard and, and Coach Curl was great to me. And Brisbane was a city where I really felt comfortable living. I felt comfortable playing mm-hmm. here. And, uh, you know, the bond was established. And ironically, I'm back here now. And it's a place that I really enjoy. Um, you then headed off to uh, the Birmingham Bullets in England, right. for, England for a year or so. Um, what was the experience like of going overseas um, and experiencing, I guess, England's culture and um, their environment and then playing basketball over there too? So that was 1992, and mm-hmm. England was a very, especially Birmingham, was a very repressed society. And after yeah. leaving sunny Brisbane and the warmth and the warm the warm culture that Australians create and going to you know, a Northern hemisphere country where the mm. people quite don't get down like we get down here. Yeah. <laughs> there's a different, yeah, there's just a different tone to life and mm. um, they're dealing with different circumstances. And I found the adjustment somewhat difficult from a living perspective. Mm-hmm. The basketball standard wasn't as good. However, mm-hmm. the athleticism in that league was really, really good. And I thought one, when I left England, I was a much better athlete than when I had arrived there. Yeah. Now I see you returned to the NBL, but 
um, at the Newcastle Falcons this time. Why did you decide to return to Australia and the NBL? And can you take me through that season through your eyes? I was really uh, excited to try and get back and prove myself. Um, I left Brisbane in circumstances that, that weren't ideal and, and mm -hmm. probably not reflective of who I was as a player. So I was really, I was really eager to get back. And I was on a mission when I got back here. I wanted to have a long um, career. I flirted with the NBA in the time that mm -hmm. I've been uh, away. I had, you know, I had some really good looks from the Atlanta Hawks. There were a couple of the teams that were looking at me and bringing me, yep. about bringing me in for training camp. They didn't quite work out. And so when the opportunity came in Newcastle, I took it. And I thought it was a place where I could, where I could really thrive. Um, now, after that season with the Falcons, you took an opportunity um, to play in the Philippines in 1996. How did you find your time here? Philippines was crazy. <laughs> they love basketball. They are mad about basketball. And mm. if anyone ever got a chance to play over there and, and feel that environment and feel that energy, I highly recommend it. And uh, I think we're going to experience a bit of that next year when mm -hmm. the, uh, with the Adelaide 36ers big, uh, big man from the Philippines comes over and plays yeah. in the NBL. It should, be, it should be really, really interesting. What was that like for you over there to experience a different country, different language, different culture, and how did you find fitting into the team? Um, I thought that the style of play, well, the Philippines plays by NBA rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. So that was really interesting because I hadn't played under those circumstances in a while since I had tried out with, yeah. with the A team. So that was cool. Um, and, and it's always a great experience to go somewhere else, go somewhere foreign, get mm -hmm. out of your comfort shell and still have to perform. Like, and it's, yeah. Australia is very kind to its imports. We give imports first chances, second chances, third, yeah. <laughs> fourth, sometimes too many chances, Max when they mm -hmm. need to be cut and moved on. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very unique to Australia. Um, that can be viewed as a good thing or a bad thing. But in most parts of the world, you better show up within, the, you better get the <laughs> in the first week. Otherwise, they're sending you out of there. Yeah. <laughs> now, throughout 95 to 98, you played um, at the Townsville Suns, which later became um, the Crocodiles. What was it like coming into this club and sort of back in the hot weather um, who were in their sort of early years in the league? They were in the early years, and I thought that we did a good job of, of establishing, establishing some respect up there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I probably had planned on staying there longer, but things didn't quite work yeah. out. And uh, I kind of needed a bit more out of life. You know, it's very important that you enjoy basketball. Yeah. But I always believe in a real, a real rounded approach to living my life. And mm -hmm. at that point, I'd had my, my first child. And um, I just wanted more to experience out of life. And I think that that led to uh, that led me to moving to Sydney and playing with the Razorbacks. But my time in Townsville was excellent. I made some some good friends and I thought I probably played some of my best basketball there. So how did you sort of obviously you mentioned like you're playing sort of your best basketball in Townsville. But how do you feel you performed as a team and then yourself to um, up at Townsville? The team definitely ascended. I think in my second in our third season there, we were in third place late in the season with like six games to go. We were mm -hmm. going to make the playoffs for the first time. And then my other import, the other import, Clarence Tyson, who was who was an absolute star at that yeah. time, 
he blew his knee out. Oh. And uh, we didn't win another game the rest of the year. <laughs> now, after your um, last season with the Suns, you made the switch um, back to Sydney at the West Sydney Razorbacks. Now, they were also a new team too. How did this move um, come about for you and how did you feel about going into sort of another new team and sort of helping this other club um, establish themselves in the league? Well, like I said, I was always, um, I'm always stimulated by, by new challenges and new mm -hmm. places. And so Sydney was a place that had always kind of been a second home to me throughout my career. Mm -hmm. um, it's a place I went and spent a lot of time in, in the off season. So um, to get the opportunity to perform and every day down in Sydney was something that I really cherished. Uh, the Razorbacks were new. I was the first player assigned there. And I was confident that the organization there was going to build a, a team that would give me a chance to compete for a championship. Uh -huh. And um, that happened. We made a grand final, I think, in year four. But unfortunately, we're unable, we're unable to bring that championship to Sydney. And um, it was nevertheless, it was a great experience. And again, along, along the path of, of my basketball life, it was, um, you know, I have very few regrets. I really loved my time at West Sydney. Now, um, in 2003, you turned um, to where your NBL career all started, sort of kicked off um, at the Brisbane Bullets, and you played there for sort of the last three years of your career. Yep. What was it like to finish up at Brisbane and play under such a great and experienced coach like Joey Wright, um, who we've also had on the podcast, by the way? Yep. Joey was a fantastic coach, and he still is a fantastic coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think one of the things I learned about Joey that I carry on today is the importance of building strong interpersonal relationships. And Joey, mm -hmm. uh, Joey and I uh, are very close friends now, and um, he's someone that I really value in my life. And, um, you know, that was probably the shining moment from my final three years in Brisbane. We played very good mm -hmm. basketball. We made the playoffs every year. And uh, I thought, you know, at that age, I think I was 37, 38 and 39. And <laughs> I was, you know, that's that's believe me. Yeah. That's well and truly beyond the number of years I thought I would have been in the league. So <laughs> I had a lot of you know, I had a lot of time for my teammates there. And I respected Joey for getting me to play that well and putting mm -hmm. putting me in situations that late in my career in which I could really, really play well and excel. And, and it was really a good time here, Max. Um, finishing up your playing career in the sport, how and when did you know that you were going to retire? Well, I didn't know. Kind of the salary cap, and sometimes guys have to go out because they can't they can't play anymore. Mm -hmm. Some guys have to go out um, because they're hurt. There are a lot of different reasons, but I was still more than capable of playing. Um, it was just the system. There was a salary cap system in place, mm -hmm. and it made it difficult for the bullets to slot me in. They decided they wanted to go in another direction. I had a couple of other opportunities elsewhere, but I just felt it was time to move on. And I was happy with where it ended. I never got that championship ring that I would have loved, but yeah. you know, it's not all, it's not all about that. I was proud of what mm -hmm. I did um, in my life. And um, it pretty much set me up for where I am now. And yeah, I'm still in the game. Mm -hmm. And um, I really have no complaints about what I did over my 15 years in the NBL. Now, how do you feel about the um, the Bullets Heritage jersey this season? I think you, I saw you playing um, in a game in a photo throughout your career in that jersey that they've uh, sort of brought back into the league this year. Yeah, I like some of them. Some of them are bad, but, you know, yeah. most of them are pretty good. You know, what did you think about them? 
I think Brisbane's was one of one of the best ones. United, I I like the sort of all the foundation sort of members on it, yeah. but I don't. I would have liked them to incorporate a bit of I don't know the Tigers or something like that. And then with Southeast Melbourne, I thought, come on, guys, like can't you incorporate some magic in there? Yeah. Or well, who's your team? Who's your favorite NBL team? Uh probably Melbourne United. Stop being a front runner, man. <laughs> Hey, what about what about Illawar? Don't you like Gorgian? I love Gorge. I've... You're too young to know Gorge. You don't know anything about. No, Gorge. no. Oh, oh, you do? How do you know? Yeah, I love Gorge, mate. He's been like like eleven time championships and like all this kind of thing, and he's coming back into the league, and he's sort of like like Illawarra has gone from like somewhere near the bottom half of the ladder, and they're now they're fighting for a playoff spot, and it's uh, really his presence has made like a massive difference alongside um the new co-owners. Let's flip this script, though. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Who do you think is going to win the NBL championship this year? You watch. You watch myself and Shane Hill on the basketball show, right? Yeah. Who do you think is going to? You see us talking about different things. Who do yeah. you think is going to win the championship this year? I reckon Perth. Why? I don't know. I think they can get it done. Bryce Cotton. You know, obviously everyone was doubting him and John Mooney at the start of the season, but he's shown that he can uplift this team and he can take them. To the place that they need to be, and then you've got Will Magne coming into the side as well. And what? So you think? So Bryce Cotton has been the MVP. What the past two seasons? Yeah, past two years. Okay. Oh, yeah, he got it. Yeah, yeah. He's the MVP. Do you also believe he is the best all-around player in the league? Because just because you're the MVP doesn't mean that you're necessarily best all-around player. One could make the argument that Mitch Creek is the best all-around player. Who yeah. do you think is the best all-around player in the league? Oh. Yeah, y'all. That's what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't think it's Bryce Cotton. Right. Because he doesn't have all the aspects. He's He's got the defense, but he's not all there. He's not someone like Mitch Creek who's good on both ends of the floor and is so dominant and powerful for right. the Phoenix. And once he gets going again, they, they, you know, I think they're still in the top four now. They're going to be fighting for a top four spot once he gets going too. Okay. You've got, you've got um, a game five. Perth versus yep. Melbourne United. Yep. Uh, Bill Simmons hits you up and is like, Max, if you get this right, I'll give you a spot on the ringer. Mm-hmm. Who, do you, who would you put your money on in a head-to-head matchup between Wait. Landale and John Mooney? I'm going, I'm going Chuck Landale. Depending, depending on how... Perth attack him and guard him. They don't if they don't double team him, he's gonna just dominate them. And oh, even really? if even if they even if they still put the double team on him, I yep. believe that he can get it done. But to take out, I think Perth will still win because Bryce Cotton, um, guys like Toddy Blanchfield coming out the other night over 20 points or something like that. I think yes. he had 22, 25 points. Yes. Um, and it depends, I guess, if they're playing um in front of the Red Army at their home, then you know, the Wildcats got the home court advantage. Not many teams could go in out there at Perth and beat the Wildcats on their home court. Okay, one last question. Mm-hmm. What do you think – how do you think the Adelaide 36ers are going to finish out the rest of the year? You think they get into the top four? Who are they taking out? They're going to have to take out – I reckon Illawarra is almost a lock. Why? Why? I don't know because they've They're got like – What's their uh, – there's a big – you know, there's a big log jam, right? Yeah, there's, there's, a, it's out, there's out of a couple of teams to make. So I think Sydney, 
this is Perth and Melbourne are already a lock. Yeah, Perth and, and then, Melbourne. And so Sydney's 14 and 14. Phoenix are 14 and 14. Hawks are 13, 14. Bullets are 12, 14. Sixers are 13, 16. That thing is tight. I know. And then the, the Sixers will finish. They keep playing the way they are. Josh Giddy, like three triple doubles in a week. And then Isaac Humphreys is still going to get going. Tony Crocker playing some great in some great form at the moment. And I think they're going to finish fourth or they're going to finish fifth. And okay, then so, and, and Hawks. So you don't you think the Kings are out? You think Southeast Melbourne, it's, it's, Phoenix are out I and think, the Bulls are out. I don't think the Bullets are out. The Max, Bull- Max, only four teams are making it. You've named five. Yeah. Um Adelaide, yep. Perth, Melbourne. And it's tough, isn't it? Sydney or Southeast Melbourne. I thought you said Illawarra. Yeah, I know, but then you've now got you it. Got, now you got doubts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then no, we, it's re- hey man, it's hard. Yeah, How do you know it's, it's so hard. tight. It's out. There's like three teams, and we're near the end of the season, and it's Plus, so close. There's like four teams. There's only two teams in the league who are definitely who are most likely not going to make the finals. Breakers and Taipans are out, so you've got yeah. five teams competing for two spots. And yep. you got COVID hanging around. Yeah. And all it takes is a bad lockdown. You know what I mean? All yeah, and put their season out of line. And all of a sudden you're on the road for a month. Yeah. It's crazy. And but it is, I guess it's good for the league and, and attention being mm-hmm. uh attention being shown to it because that is going to be a good yep. through seven right now. That's that's exciting. Yeah. Now, um, you had a role um, as an executive director um, of corporate basketball services at the Sydney Kings um, through to the end of sort of, uh, through from 2006 until late 2007. What yeah. did you do here? So basically it was a co-CEO um, mm-hmm. role and I was in charge of just making sure all the corporate stuff was in shape, you know, mm-hmm. Box sales, um, season ticket launches, marketing, all that type of stuff. And also dabbled into um, the player contracts and making sure our salary cap structure was right and we had everything in order. So, you know, we were on the verge of building an empire. Gorge was a coach and, you know, we just had some misfortune with a bad owner, but we were we were right there. And and man, I wish we would have the opportunity to really let that thing ride out because, uh, yeah, we had something cooking. Um, now, you've had a bunch of media roles throughout and after uh, your career, including the NBL Weekly Recap Show um, and also as an NBL analyst for Fox Sports. Can you elaborate on your time in the media? Well, I think it started back probably around 97 or so where I first started mm-hmm. doing some guest spots with Fox Sports d- doing games and mm-hmm. uh, just kind of sideline reporting and it built on. And I've always been lucky enough to get good opportunities in the media you know I've done my own podcast over the years which I'm thinking about firing up again Mm -hmm. Um, you know guest roles on different different programs and you know it's you know I really like commentating Um, I'm a student of the game Um, I'm passionate about it I'm a fan also as well as a former player you know I've coached at a pretty decent level Um, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of hard not to want to share and I'm you know, I don't mind talking to people. Um, yeah, it's 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 just nice to be, not only to speak, but the fact that people want to yep. hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2016, um, you founded Derek Rucker Basketball. Can you tell the listeners what it's all about? 
Yes, yeah, a premium basketball skills development business based here in Southeast Queensland. I work with mm -hmm. about 80 to 100 bodies per week. Um, it's been a very successful and, you know, this might sound somewhat corny, but in terms of the work that I've done with DRB over the past five years, mm -hmm. it is far and away more rewarding than anything that I did with my playing career. Just seeing the player yep. of all ages, talent levels, um, improving and excelling mm -hmm. man it's just uh it's really soul enriching and i i just hope to do it until they they put me in the dirt so who do you think's the top prospect who you've worked with so far well you know i've worked with nbl players i've got a couple of nba players that are coming mm -hmm. over i work with mojave king obviously wow. you know about that. yeah uh, i've worked with uh, a lot of top level um female players who are in the wnbl mm -hmm. um and it's just, it's everything, but it's just not about the talent, Max. I'm about attitude. Yeah. I don't care. You may not be able to hit the side of the backboard with your shot, but if you've got a good attitude and you want to learn, yeah. you want to stay at, stay at it, I'm down with you. You know, I'll be there for you. So it's everything. And I, and I really love it. And, you know, I take great pride in what I do. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, again, it's about building the interpersonal relationships and not only with the players, but it, it continues to their siblings and their parents and their extended families. And, you know, DRB has been the most successful venture I've ever taken on in my life. And I'm very, very happy with it and uh, quite proud. Mm -hmm. Now I want to touch on Jay Shante. I mean, how incredible. And it just shows on um, the NBL I know Cupcake League. Um, Jay Sean going over there for the Rockets, playing in the starting five and being, I think it's top three for the rookie of the year at the moment so far. What's your perspective on him and how great of a player he's going to be? Well, I thought the main thing that he brought for the Sydney Kings was his energy. And I thought he, mm -hmm. he did a really good job with that. But now we're showing, he, now we're seeing that he's got more than that. You know, yeah, he handles absolutely. the ball, he defends, he can rebound. He's just a really good utility player. Mm -hmm. um, he passes the ball better, I think, than people think. And now um, Cam Oliver is playing Cam with him, right? So, you know, I think both those guys have an opportunity to stick. Like Houston's cleared out mm -hmm. and it's apparent that they are looking for young talent and guys that want to work and get the right culture in there. So, you know, sometimes when you go into a, a, a situation that looks somewhat decrepit and beaten down, for guys mm -hmm. like that, it's a great opportunity to showcase their skills and make a claim for a continued uh, contract with, with that team. Now, Cam Oliver, I, I, I think I saw one of their permanent players had played the same amount of minutes today as Oliver, and he only had like two, three uh, or two, one, and like two points, which is where Oliver had like three boards, two assists, and 13 points. Right. Hey, did you go to school today or what? Yeah, I went to school, check it, checking the scores all day long. Hey, my man, you got to be studying your, you got to hit them books. Don't be, you got all day long. Oh, no, as long, yeah. as, you do it, as, long as you do it at lunch, you're cool. Yeah, yeah, did it at lunch. Yep. Um, but then the I'm not so sure you're doing it at lunch only. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> When the but, teacher's talking, if the teacher turns her back, you get a little look, bit, little, little look at your phone. No, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, you got a window open on your computer. No, no. Max. I swear, I swear. Hands are up. All right, cool. Um, now, I guess the Rockets are sort of building with guys from the NBL. You know, Will Weaver, Sydney Kings head coach, going over there, assistant coach, um, John Will, Dante Exum, um, part owners at Southeast Melbourne, and then Jay Sean Tate and Cam Oliver. They're really building quite the sort of like reputation that obviously got people scouting all these guys from the NBL. 
There's no doubt. And, you know, having Will Weaver, because here's the deal. When people have seen you play and conduct yourself in person, mm -hmm. that is so valuable because mm -hmm. it takes time to learn about players and prospects. And, you know, if, if, if that scouting uh, portion can mm -hmm. be expedited, that makes everything so much yeah. easier. You, if you know the person is a good person and you've dealt with them before, you know, that takes that out of the equation right away. Mm -hmm. And then you can just focus in on, well, is he good enough to play at this level? And both those guys obviously are. Now, Josh Giddy, what a talent. Um, what pick are you projecting him to go out and who do you think he's going to in the NBA draft? I don't know, but I'm going to say around number eight. Number eight. So I know some people are saying he's like top five pick or something like that. Yeah, I, I think around eight would be a, a safe guess without, mm -hmm. you know, getting everyone's hopes up too high. I think mm -hmm. eight is probably truly representative of where, you know, based on his skill set and some of the other guys in the draft. But yeah. here's the thing, like we never know. Somebody could really be liking what he has. You know, I yep. made a statement that I thought if Golden State get a really high pick, he wouldn't be a bad piece to go with mm -hmm. Stephen Clay. Um, now, did you ever have an idol um, growing up? And if so, why? Um, I liked uh, I liked Isaiah Thomas, the original one. Mm -hmm. Yep, gun. Uh, yes, I liked him. I liked uh, Dr. J. Mm -hmm. I liked Larry Bird. Mm -hmm. I liked John Lucas. Yeah. Yep. Those are the guys that I really kind of modeled myself after as a player. Mm -hmm. Um, if you could go out for dinner, um, with anyone in the world, who would it be? Can I bring back the dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go with Bob Marley. Mm -hmm. Why? I just think his his commitment to harmony in the world and, you know, his poetic nature and his mm -hmm. brain, I think it would be great to have a conversation at dinner with him. Um, what? Who is your favorite NBL team to watch? I really enjoy watching Bryce play. Mm -hmm. I think I, I just like the way he plays the game. Um, he's, he's, he's a good person. He's been on my podcast and I've really, I yeah. really enjoyed that. And I, I just like, he, he plays the game the right way. He plays hard. He plays athletic and he, he doesn't shy away from the big moment. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time he gets the job done, but if he doesn't get the job done, you don't see him moaning and complaining just picks mm -hmm, yeah. up the pieces and comes out the next game and busts you up to the best of his ability. So is your favorite team to watch the Wildcats? Probably this season. Last year, I really enjoyed watching Cans. Yeah. They were um, great last year. DJ Newbel, yeah. Cam Oliver. Yeah. And then this year, the sort of pieces couldn't get DJ Newbel back because obviously only two imports. Early, earlier this season, I was really enjoying watching uh, Southeast Melbourne. Mm -hmm. that was so, they were dominant at the start of the year. Yeah, lately they're not so dominant, Max. Yeah. Mm. Um, if you were a 14-year-old trying to get um, into sports, radio, and TV, how would you do it? Keep doing what you're doing. You're mm -hmm. on the right track. You're on the right track. You know your stuff. You've done your work. And uh, you've got a good look and you speak well. You're, uh, yeah, you should be very happy. All right. Thanks, Derek, for coming on the podcast today and putting aside some of your time to come on and have a chat. Hey, it's been an honor, Max. I'm more than happy to do it again. You just hit me up and let me know, buddy. All right. Thanks, Derek. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. 
Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes and follow and subscribe to our channel on Instagram and YouTube. This episode was brought to you by The Missing Link.